Hello, welcome back to the Equippers International podcast short version where we are making our way through the book of Hebrews. We have completed the first five chapters of the book and today we'll start into chapter six. I just want to give a little heads up as I start this episode. I think it's going to be a little bit longer than normal, but we're dealing with a very important topic today. And so let's dive right in. Hebrews chapter six, I'm going to read the first six verses. Therefore, leaving the elementary teaching about Christ, let us press on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God, of instruction about washings and laying on of hands, and the resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment. And this we will do if God permits. For in the case of those who have once been enlightened and have tasted of the heavenly gift and have been made partakers of the Holy Spirit and have tasted the good word of God and the powers of the age to come and then have fallen away, it is impossible to renew them again to repentance since they again crucify to themselves the Son of God and put him to open shame." Now, this is obviously a very, very well-known passage of Scripture and one that we're going to spend many episodes in. So be patient and let's dive right in. So at the end of chapter 5, the writer has already given his warning toward the Jewish believers to whom he's writing this book and telling them that they are immature and they should have already been more spiritually mature and even become teachers in the faith. And he uses this word toward the end of chapter 5, the elementary principles of the sayings of God. Here he uses the word stoicheion. It's the idea of things being stacked in a row, kind of like the letters of the alphabet. Paul actually uses this word in a couple different places to refer to the same stoicheion, but he refers to the elementary principles of the world, and he gives a strong warning against being deceived by these principles of the world. But here the writer of Hebrews uses it in regards to the oracles or the sayings of God. But now at the beginning of chapter 6, the writer is going to refer to the elementary teaching about Christ. And here he uses the Greek word logos. Logos carries the notion of the embodiment of an idea. It is the actual communication. We've looked at it before where John says that Jesus is the logos of God. We saw it in Hebrews chapter 1 that he now has spoken through his son who is the logos. And so he encourages his readers to leave the elementary teachings about Christ. And then he gives a list of what these elementary teachings are. This means that according to the writer, there are things that even immature believers should already know. These teachings make up what he calls a foundation. Simply put, a foundation is something that you build on. Jesus talked about a foundation in Matthew 7, one built on sand or one built on rock. Paul talks about the foundation that he laid, which was Christ. And the writer of Hebrews refers to the foundation that has been laid. And he doesn't want to have to lay again this foundation in the lives of believers. So he tells us the components of this foundational teaching. 
At first glance, it appears that the list consists of six things, but actually there are three major categories that touch on six different ideas. So the three components of this foundation teaching about Christ are, one, repentance from dead works and faith toward God, two, instruction about washings and laying on of hands, and three, the resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment. Now, these are all big topics, and since the writer stresses their importance as foundational, we need to spend some time to look at each one and make sure we have a firm foundation in regards to our understanding of these truths. So we'll spend the next few episodes working our way through these truths, remembering along the way that the goal is not just to understand these truths, but it is to have a firm foundation established in our lives so that we can actually press on to maturity as sons and daughters of God. So the first truth that we'll start looking at today is repentance from dead works and faith toward God. Now, each of these truths in this list is in the form of what I call a couplet. And the first couplet consists of repentance from dead works and faith toward God. So repentance and faith go hand in hand. There are different opinions about the actual meaning of repentance, and it's important for us to understand what the biblical writers believed about repentance. It comes from the Greek word metanoia, and it literally means to change your mind. Repentance simply means to think differently. It is a word that deals with our thoughts and underlying belief system. It's not a word that refers to our emotional response to our failures or sin. It really does not refer at all to our actions. This is because the biblical writers understood that all action comes first from thought. James explains this process when he says in James 1, 14 through 15, that each one is tempted when he's carried away and enticed by his lust. And when lust is conceived, it gives birth to sin. So lust is rooted in the thoughts of a person, and these thoughts, when entertained enough, produce the action of sin. This is just one example of how our thoughts are considered the root and the source of our actions. So the biblical writers understood how important it is for us to change the way we think. This was the whole idea of the preaching of Jesus. He proclaimed in Matthew 4, 17, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And again in Mark 1, 15, The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. He was telling the Jews that they needed to begin thinking differently because they had a long-established belief related to what the kingdom of God was going to look like when the throne of David would be reestablished and the chosen Messiah would come and reign over his natural kingdom again. And Jesus says you need to change the way you think about that because the kingdom is here now and the Messiah has arrived. And if you don't change the way you think, you're going to miss it. And sadly enough, the Jews did miss it. Perhaps one of the most well-known passages in Paul on repentance is in 2 Corinthians 7, 8, and 9. There, Paul's talking to the Corinthian believers, and he says, "'For though I caused you sorrow by my letter,' 
I do not regret it, though I did regret it, for I see that the letter caused you sorrow, though only for a while I now rejoice, not that you were made sorrowful, but that you were made sorrowful to the point of repentance, for you were made sorrowful according to the will of God, so that you might not suffer loss in anything through us." Now, it's important to understand the context of this passage in order to better understand what Paul means by repentance. Paul has had a long-standing relationship with the Corinthian church, and there has been a situation in which they had lost trust in Paul. He has visited them on several occasions to try to reconcile the situation, and he finally writes a letter to them in which he speaks quite harshly regarding this particular situation. His words obviously moved them to the point of them being sorry for the way they had treated him, and they were moved to the point that they repented of the way that they were thinking about Paul. So this passage really has nothing to do with people in sin and feeling sorry for their sinful actions. It has everything to do with the relationship and the way they were thinking about Paul and the importance of a situation that he was dealing with. So in actuality, it's interesting to note that repentance is actually a very small part of the preaching of the apostles in the New Testament. Most references to repentance are found in the gospel accounts of the preaching of Jesus, where he's telling the Jews to repent of their conception of the kingdom of God. Otherwise, in the preaching of the apostles, repentance takes up very little space. The apostles understood that the foundational meaning of repentance meant thinking properly towards what God had accomplished through the work of Christ and coming to a place of placing our faith in that. It is a choice to believe properly. Paul puts it beautifully in Acts 20, 20 and 21. When he is saying goodbye to the elders at Ephesus, he says, I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you publicly and from house to house, solemnly testifying to both Jews and Greeks of repentance toward God and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, in the next episode, I'm going to discuss specifically what it means to repent from dead works. But for today, I want to encourage you to consider your understanding of repentance. Repentance is not a negative experience or an idea in the Christian life that is meant to conjure up some deep soul-wrenching emotion as we feel deep sorrow for our wrong. Now, I'm not saying that understanding the consequences of our wrong is necessarily bad. I'm just saying that it's not the meaning of repentance. Repentance has to do with changing our minds and the way we think. So allow the Lord to reveal where your thinking is not rooted in truth, especially as it relates to what God has done through Jesus Christ on our behalf. You know, in the book of Acts, Paul says to the Jews in Acts 3.19, Therefore, repent and return so that your sins may be wiped away in order that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord and that he may send Jesus, the Christ appointed for you. There is a very real sense of refreshing that comes as we choose to believe rightly and place our faith fully in what Christ has done for us. This is the ultimate meaning of repentance, to bring ourselves into a proper place of believing rightly. Be strong and courageous and love Jesus more.